Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, or as we wish to be known from henceforward, uh, Political Beats Blockchain. We think it'll rocket up the uh, the charts if we, if we rename ourselves. Uh, this is a presentation of National Review, where we talk with people in politics, around politics, covering politics, analyzing politics about nothing political whatsoever, but only about... Uh, Favorite music, favorite bands. My name is Scott Bertram. You can find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. And alongside, as always, my co-host, Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you? Hey, uh, Scott, I'm sorry. I'm I'm a bit busy here. I'm a bit tied up. I'm listening to this drum solo. Uh, Why don't we all make an agreement to regroup when it's done? Thankfully, it's not too long. Uh, See you in 25 minutes, okay? That is just when my live version of Dazed and Confused is coming to an end. So this is going to work out very well for the program, I think. Uh, At Esoteric CD is where to find Jeff. You can find the show, in fact, uh, on Twitter as, as well. At political underscore beats, at political underscore beats. And the show itself on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or at nationalreview.com. On the podcast page, you'll find all of National Review's offerings, including Political Beats, our old episodes and new episodes out on Mondays each and every week. And we welcome in our guest for today's program. She is a former Fox News contributor, a Democratic strategist. You can find her on Twitter at Julie Roginski. And that's your name, too. It's Julie Roginski with us here on Political Beats. Julie, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So before we get to your band and begin to discuss their discography, we ask all of our guests, uh, what is your political beat? How are you involved in this ecosystem of politics? So I have spent probably the last 20 years helping to elect Democrats up and down the ballot. I have a bunch of clients who have made it to the Senate and to the House down in Washington and pretty much all over the tri-state area here in New York. So I've been involved in this for a really long time. (laughs) <laughs> and we are not not, a, not as long as my love for my favorite band, but almost. <laughs> and we're very happy to have you on the program today. You you love this band so much; it's even in your Twitter bio. The yes. last the last time I checked, uh, they are one of the greatest rock and roll bands of all time. Uh, one of the uh, very first, I would say, hard rock, heavy metal kind of bands, creating a sound all their own. Active for just about a decade, a little over a decade. And a few brief reun- reunions through the years of um, varying lineups, including one just, uh, what, this past year, I believe, with, uh, with three of the four members, original members, of Led Zeppelin. And that is Julie's band that we'll be discussing today on Political Beats. Julie, we turn the floor over to you to ask you, how did you get into the band? Uh, why do you love them so much, and why should everybody else care about Led Zeppelin? Well, I guess when I was 15, I was hanging around a bunch of 15-year-old boys, and of course, any 15-year-old boy who's self-respecting would be into Led Zeppelin. They all seemed to move on. After a year or two, I stayed right there. Um, it is, to me, the, they are the greatest band of all time. Um, but they are a band that really charted the course for so many that followed afterwards. There would be no Aerosmith or any of the hard rock bands that we all enjoyed growing up in the 80s if it were not for Led Zeppelin. And I think if you listen to Led Zeppelin from the very first note of their very first album, think about what that must have been like to turn on Zepp One and listen to Good Times, Bad Times, and how different that was from every other band and every other song that was being played on the radio at the time. It's the days of my youth. 
just complete evolution of music in a way that had never been done before, and I'm not so sure it has been really done since. So to me, they are by far um, the pioneer band, along probably with The Who, of all great rock and roll bands that followed. Um, if you are not a 15-year-old boy, I recommend that you get into Led Zeppelin. If you <laughs> at one point were a 15-year-old boy, you probably already know what I'm talking about. And um, they're just an amazing band, and every year I have one thing on my bucket list, and that is to see them actually reunite and play a concert, which Robert plans, unfortunately, has refused to do. But uh, that is the only thing on my bucket list that I want to do before it's all over, is to have them play one show um, that I can attend. Uh, for me, Led Zeppelin was, again, you know, basically the soundtrack of sophomore year, junior year of high school. That's uh, when you were a 15-year-old boy. <laughs> Pretty much. Julie nailed it. I got to say, she, she really, really called it. Uh, that is the moment uh, that any musically aware kid finds Led Zeppelin. Uh, it was the perfect timing for me. I was, uh, of course, I was born in 1980, so I'm in high school in the mid-90s. This is uh, the moment at which those box sets, which were mm-hmm. my introduction to Led Zeppelin. I came in. My brother had bought some of the original albums. He was a little older than me. So we had copies of Led Zeppelin two, and uh, Led Zeppelin four, and Houses of the Holy at home. Uh, but I ignore my brother's CD collection unless you know he had uh, Bob Dylan or Phil Collins or something like that. Yes, Phil Collins. I'm embarrassed about that now, but we'll just let it go. Uh, it was only when I finally started getting into classic rock that I was like, well, Led Zeppelin. You know, and I bought I bought that first box set, that four CD one with the crop circles on the cover. Yep. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's like you know ubiquitous, and you know, holy guacamole! It just kind of blows you away with the song selection and the sequencing. And then of course I went and got the second one too. That's actually still, I think, maybe in some ways my preferred way to listen to their discography. I like the way it's all jumbled up and mixed for kind of like, you know, creative effect. It's like a really good compilation. But of course, I went back and I got all the albums. And then you, you get the live music. You explore the bootlegs. You, you get all the reissues. I bought the, I bought the box sets. I bought the albums. And then I bought the reissues of the albums as well. It, it's kind of shameless how much they've made me spend on their discography. And I don't regret that. I think that this is a band that I have long told people that I think is overrated. And I think I still stand by that because people say Led Zeppelin is the greatest band of all time. Well, I think they're in the pantheon. They're certainly in the conversation for sure. Uh, They are a fantastic group, but I will be critical of them. I think I could say that if you compare them to the who, which Julie mentioned is the band, a power trio, a quintessential seventies power trio. Of course, the who have a sixties prehistory as well. I think the who are a better band. They're always been my more, favorite band um but zeppelin were just endlessly creative so much more than the original hard rock rap that they got it's actually funny to go back and and read those early rolling stone reviews of led mm-hmm. zeppelin albums and find out just how utterly loathed they were by <laughs> critics at the time everybody hated led zeppelin they made fun of them they treated them as if some sort of ghastly parody of rock music and blues music nobody thinks that anymore and it's it's credit to how good jimmy page was as a studio arranger and a writer and a riff meister and how good robert plant is as a vocalist and a lyricist and how great john bonham and john paul jones are on drums bass and keyboards that we don't think of them as that anymore they absolutely triumphed over their original rap and their original stereotype and at this point there's really nothing that i can say or you can say or anybody can say that will detract from the legend of led zeppelin they are one of the consensus greatest bands of all time and you know i'm going to be sniping at some of their songs and some of their albums here but none of that matters you know why you love this band everybody loves this band 
Well, I'll tell you, nobody actually trashed the Who. Sorry, nobody trashed Led Zeppelin more than the Who. Keith Moon actually, as you know, probably named Led Zeppelin, said they were going to go down like a Led Zeppelin because they were so awful. Um, Keith Moon, the drummer for the Who, and then obviously that's why they put a flaming Hindenburg, um, <laughs> flaming Zeppelin on their first cover as a, as a tribute to Keith Moon. But uh, I, I actually agree with you that the Who is absolutely up there in the pantheon, and there's an argument to be made that the Who is, is as great, if not greater, than Led Zeppelin. I love the Who, um, but Led Zeppelin speaks to me in a way that even the Who doesn't, although the Who does in many ways as well. Um, I will say, though, that Led Zeppelin as good as they are, and it is a testament to Jimmy Page, the lyrics in some of the songs are absolutely ridiculous. They mm-hmm. sound like they were written by a 15-year-old boy. Um, but having said that, when it's all put together, it's almost like a Picasso where the sum of the parts is so good, where the individual parts in isolation may not be. But put together, the music, the lyrics, um, the arrangement, all of it, um, certainly the execution, there, there's nobody like him. Uh, the band itself, uh, Jimmy Page, was, uh, uh, was, a, was a session guitarist and worked on a whole lot of stuff. It, it is not true that he played on uh, You Really Got Me from the Kinks, but uh, it is true, apparently. He did play on uh, I Can't Explain from The Who and did a lot of stuff like that and eventually joined the Yardbirds uh, with, uh, with Jeff Beck in uh, 1966. Uh, Beck left shortly thereafter, and so the Yardbirds were winding down. As Julie mentioned, there was uh, Keith Moon was was friendly with them, uh, of course, and 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 Page had thought about a supergroup with, with Jeff Beck and Jimmy Page and Keith Moon and John Entwistle and maybe Steve Winwood and maybe Steve Marriott, just if you're if you're thinking big, uh, that never came to fruition, and the Yardbirds were playing their final gigs in '68. Had some Scandinavian dates they were committed to, where, where Page used the name the Yardbirds, although uh, others were already gone. Uh, and after that, Page started to consider how he was going to put his band together. Uh, his first choice for lead singer was Terry Reed. Said no, got Robert Plant instead. That worked out all right. Uh, John Bonham was uh, was uh, uh, a recommendation of Robert Plant, and uh, John Paul Jones just kind of said, "Hey, uh, you guys need a bassist." And uh, Jimmy Page said, "Sure." They had known each other for a while. Both were session musicians, and they joined uh, those four as Led Zeppelin. Well, they would be named Led Zeppelin shortly, shortly thereafter. Um, they were called the New Yardbirds at the very start, and then the, uh, the other guy said, you can't do that anymore. Julie explained where the uh, name Led Zeppelin came from. Uh, signed without seeing, um, without, uh, si- signed sight unseen, I should say, by Atlantic Records in 1968, and the first album released shortly thereafter, uh, the self-titled Led Zeppelin. As Julie mentioned, from the very first seconds of the very first album, you know what you're getting from Led Zeppelin. Can't really beat it. Nope. Nope. And so you've got John Bonham going absolutely nuts on the drum kit. Triplets all over the place in good times, bad times. A wild Jimmy Page solo. Very crisp guitar work. little bass break in the middle of the tune. Robert Plant's vocals as strong as they ever would be in the early uh, time of, of Led Zeppelin. And there, Good Times, Bad Times, that's the blueprint uh, for at least the first couple of albums before they, 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 they branch out a bit. But, uh, guys, Led Zeppelin, this first debut album, uh, take it from there. Well, listen, uh, first of all, my favorite thing about Led Zeppelin, the debut album, is the fact that it comes from 1968, and yet it ended the 60s. Right there! As has often been observed, by the way, I'm not the first person to arrive at this conclusion. Led Zeppelin basically declared, your hippie days are over. 
No more, no more fairy tales and caftans. No more patchouli oil. No, no more love beads. This is hard rock, baby. And then exactly with that, and it, it was um, again, it's hard to emphasize enough how the critical reaction to this was just horrified. Mm-hmm. They thought this is ridiculous. It was an insane parody of the blues. Blues bands, the, the blues boom actually had been taking off in the United Kingdom ever since the late, ever since like late '67. There'd always been a strain of it. The Yardbirds, of course, you know, kind of just using John Miles Blues Breakers as their farm to get all of their players. So there'd always been a blues scene in England, but there was like a blues you know, renaissance in late 67, kind of as a reaction to the psychedelia and all, you know, the, you know, the fairy tales, gnomes and hobbits, people reacting against Pink Floyd's Piper at the Gates of Dawn and Sergeant Peppers and all of that. Um, But you usually saw it in in things like the early Peter Green Fleetwood Mac albums, you know, so straight ahead, kind of like very kind of religiously faithful 12 bar blues. Then here comes Led Zeppelin. This seemed like some sort of ghastly joke to blues purists and to rock critics alike. What the heck did they know? Nothing. They knew nothing. This was the sound of the future, and it still sounds just as current today as it did in 1969. It was recorded in 68. I think it came out in like January of 1969. But it sounds like the 70s to me. I like this album. If you're going to divide zeppelin into eras like those first two albums led zeppelin one led zeppelin two those are when they're still in their sort of proto blues band era you know they're repurposing these songs but almost all of them are kind of based on old blues tropes and blues songs and some of them are based on folk songs that jimmy page stole from people and didn't credit <laughs> uh, babe, babe i'm gonna leave you <clears throat> um you know but you've got great 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 songs like uh you shook me and i can't quit you baby those are two covers that i love just as much i love far more than any earlier kind of straight blues cover of those songs by whether they're by rock bands or just by you know like the original blues men who did them they're just insanely stretched out taken to ridiculous levels you know you know robert plant when he played them live would just sound like he was you know spontaneously orgasming or going into heat on stage it was ridiculous uh, your time is going to come is kind of the opposite of that. It's the least bluesy thing on the entire album. It's probably my favorite song on the album. I love that John Paul Jones opening organ. Uh, he, he goes, you know, it, it sounds like um, a fan of the opera is playing in church <laughs> or something like that. And it's beautiful. And then it develops into this lovely folk song. diverse album than it's given credit for. Led Zeppelin 2 is the one that I actually have I have less praise for. I think it's a bit too monochromatic, but that first debut album holds together really well for me. There's only one song on this album that I really dislike, and it's the most famous one. I hate Dazed and Confused. I just hate the damn thing. It is long, it is boring, and the thing I like the most about it is how it ends. When it ends and it's done, and then suddenly your time <laughs> is going to come, floods in, and I feel this blessed sense of relief. But other than that, this is a great debut album. 
So I would completely agree with you on everything except the days and confused part. We'll get to that. But, I mean, who does the blues the way Led Zeppelin did them? Think about what was going on at the time. You had Eric Clapton with Cream doing his version of Crossroads, obviously, and, and the Rolling Stones were doing a bunch of blues songs. But nobody was playing American blues and Mississippi Delta blues the way Led Zeppelin was. And, and as you said, obviously, Jimmy Page lifted, stole a whole bunch of songs from a bunch of blues people down south, but nevertheless made it his own. Robert Plant certainly made it his own and was able to do it in a way that I think nobody else in the British invasion who was doing the same kind of music at the time was able to do it. Clapton couldn't do it, no matter how hard he tried. Mick Jagger couldn't do it. Robert Plant and Jimmy Page did it better than anybody else from England who was appropriating our music at the time. Um, when it comes to Dazed and Confused, uh, my somebody once told me, I don't know if this is apocryphal or not, that he actually stole that from Jeff Beck. Beck had something called Beck's Bolero that Days and Confused was inspired by, which is probably a nice way to put stole from. And Jeff Beck had stolen that from Ravel, from Ravel's Bolero, the classical music um, song. So Days and Confused to me is emblematic of Led Zeppelin, and I think it kind of put the marker down for Stairway to Heaven and put the marker down for Cashmere, songs that I think most of us don't want to hear anymore because they're so overplayed. But nevertheless, really... Um, kind of put Led Zeppelin down as the marker for all their future future huge hits um, and Days of Confused is part of that canon to me part of that trilogy of, of, of Stairway and, and, and Cashmere certainly uh, it's a great song you that it's maybe a song that is overplayed and therefore you might not want to hear again but think about the first time you heard that song the first time i heard that song i thought it was amazing um much like stairway to heaven which i never want to hear again <laughs> but the first time i heard that i thought it was amazing as well and, and cashmere certainly fits into that criteria as well i'm not gonna lie the first time i heard days and confused i was uh, rather high i'm sorry you were days and confused <laughs> yeah, right. I was dazed and um, On that particular song, I'm actually on. Uh, I'm, I'm Team Jeff on that. I have never liked uh, Dazed and Confused all that much. And it, I, I'm not. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm sour on the album, but I, 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 I would not. Uh, it's not in the team picture of my favorite uh, Zeppelin albums a, a, at all. Um, it just seems to me that they're still, you know, it's a debut, and they're still kind of aping styles rather than redoing them in the Zeppelin way that they would get to. Uh, very quickly. Uh, Good Times, Bad Times is fantastic. Communication break, Breakdown is such a simple song. It's a caveman simple song. It's a riff. It's a it's one drum rhythm for the most part. Um, but it, it that would set the scene for a lot of what would happen with the punk scene uh, in the mid to, to late 70s, too. I, I don't like Dazed and Confused. I know Jeff likes You Shook Me. I don't. It seems like it should be slow and seductive, and instead it's just sluggish, I think, through the track. I, I don't really like how many more times that uh, uh, the uh, interpretation uh, of that uh, original song from, from Zeppelin. So uh, I do like Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You, and that, that's, that, uh, that's that soft, loud uh, dynamic that Zeppelin used so much through their career. But again, I think they would do that better on the uh, on the second album which was which was right around the corner so you know 
good times, bad times. One thing, one, is one just, thing I want to say about yes. how many more times is that I really like the way that Jimmy Page intentionally had them list the running time of how many more times uh, on the, the back of the album as uh, two minutes and 58 seconds <laughs> so he could trick DJs into playing it. It's, actually, it. it's nine minutes long, but on the original printing of it, it's, it's listed as like two minutes, two and a half minutes long. Because he wanted to fool them into putting it on the air and then saying, like, oh, no. Oh, no, this is not stopping. What's happening? God, no, this so won't end. I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to agree with you that I, I am not a fan of You Shook Me at all. I think it's probably the weakest song on, uh, on, on the album. How many more, how, I think How Many More Times probably also fits that bill. But the rest of them are just amazing, and I think it's a really strong debut album. I actually think Led Zeppelin started out stronger than they went out. Um, I think the first two albums were fantastic and then they had some not so great albums in my opinion in the middle but i think this is absolutely one of the greatest albums that they did and debut album or no debut album it's just an amazing album those two songs aside those two songs make it not be the perfect album otherwise those two songs were not on it i would think it's actually a pretty perfect album now little did jimmy page know that if he actually listed the uh the real length of how many more times djs would be more likely to play it because they need a bathroom break and an eight and a half minute song is a perfect length for a bathroom break song um speaking of dj i'm going to transition that into into led zeppelin 2 uh which which let's see one two yes the second album from led zeppelin my dj story from led zeppelin 2 is when i was uh in college uh we were still playing cds weren't uh, you know fully digital yet and uh and so you had two CD players, and you, and you loaded them up, and there was, a, there was a setting on there that said single or continuous. And, of course, you wanted it on single because you didn't want the tracks to, to you know, roll over one after the other. But when you were playing Led Zeppelin II and you were playing Heartbreaker, Live and Love and Made, you had to switch that. You had to move that switch from single to continuous. So you got that transition playing Heartbreaker and Live and Love and Made back to back. And you wasted your time. It's a terrible song. Oh, it's not. It's not. They're both fantastic. I, even though it's I know Paige, Paige hate, hated Living Loving Made. He, he, uh, they never played it live, and he didn't include it on the box set, but I don't care. He's wrong. Um, Heartbreaker and Living Loving Made is, um, I, is it the highlight, or is it a whole lot of love? I don't know, but I love Heartbreaker, and I love Living Loving Made. Heartbreaker is just a killer riff from, from, from Paige. His solo is fantastic. John Paul Jones' bass rumbles through that whole song. And, uh, and then the, the uh, transition right into Live and Love and Made. Uh, you don't hear a ton of Zeppelin songs backing vocals, but there are backing vocals on Live and Love and Made. I will say, and uh, you know, Julie mentioned the lyrics earlier, these are great songs musically and sonically. Uh, lyrically, probably two of the most uh, w- woman-hating, misogynistic <laughs> songs that Zeppelin ever recorded. And that's saying a lot for the Zeppelin canon, but there you go. Uh, I, I don't care. I still love them a bunch. Uh, the rest of the album, look, Whole Lot of Love. Someone else can talk a little more about that. I mean, everyone knows Whole Lot of Love. Two songs that, that work that, that, uh, that, that loud, the soft, loud dynamic really well, What Is and What Should Never Be, and Ramble On. I always partner those two 
in my head. I think Ramble On has kind of uh, achieved uh, a little more notoriety through the years through classic rock radio play. But I like What Is and What Should Never Be uh, a little bit more. Uh, kind of that blueprint from Babe, I'm going to leave you, and, and moving it forward on the Led Zeppelin too. And two is very much an attempt to, to, to capture the, the band. Um, well, I wouldn't say capture the band, but you know they were, they were playing tons of live shows. They actually recorded the album in between a bunch of their live shows. And so you get something like Moby Dick, which was John Bonham's uh, opportunity to play a drum solo in concert. And since that's what they were doing at the time, that ended up on the album as well. As drum solos go, you know, it's pretty good. Uh, so I, Led Zeppelin II was my first introduction to the band as an, as an album. It was the first Zeppelin album I owned was Led Zeppelin II. And I still think as an, as an introduction to the band, you, you can't really go wrong with Ze- Led Zeppelin II. So I think this is one of the very few albums by any band that is a perfect album there's nothing wrong with this album it is absolutely pristine from the start to finish there's not one extraneous song on it and i will stand by moby dick even if a lot of people won't because <laughs> it gave john bottom and all you guys were talking about drum solos in the intro this gave john bottom an opportunity to show what he had uh this while this is an album that i'm kind of sick of so i don't listen to all that often anymore it is much like Abbey Road or Dark Side of the Moon, just the perfect album. And there's no other album that Led Zeppelin did, although there are albums that I think are better. There is no album that Led Zeppelin did that to me is just perfection from start to finish. And this is it. Whole lot of love. Um, I think introduced a lot of young kids to <laughs> a lot of things they may not have been familiar with <laughs> before listening to it. Um, I know that there's some disagreement about Thank You. I, when I was 15 or 16, Thank You was going to be my wedding song. That's how much I loved it. I've, I've outgrown the lyrics of it. The lyrics are pretty atrocious, but I still think it's a beautiful song. And so today my world, it smiles. Your hand in mine, we walk the miles. Thanks to you, it will be dark. For you to me, I'm the only one I want say Happiness, no more be sad Happiness, I'm um, I agree that Heartbreaker and Living Loving Made paired together and what upsets me now when you listen to some of this stuff um, online is that you can't really group them together. Can't they, segue they, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you can't really <laughs> they get segmented out. It's not really how it should be listened to. Ramble On um, is every high school kid's Hobbit fantasy that Led Zeppelin as a band was able to play out. So I think this is absolutely just uh, the greatest album that Led Zeppelin did, though it's not my favorite album. Different opinions on political bees. <laughs> I hate this album. I have what? to say it. I'm so, I know, I know, I know, Julie. I'm so sorry after that, that wonderful and spirited defense of it. And, of course, I'm in the minority here. I'm well aware of that fact. Everybody loves Led Zeppelin, too. I think it's their weakest album up until In Through the Outdoor. Mm. I, wow. I think, I think you got to put down the group. crack pipe. That is crazy. <laughs> Yeah, listen. Yeah, you listen. I know I'm flying high in the friendly skies when I say this, but I'm going to tell you, when I look at Led Zeppelin 2, and this, by the way, was my first Led Zeppelin album as an album, too. As I said, my brother had this one and had four and Houses of the Holy. This is the first one I listened to. I'm going to sound like a crank when I'm trying to say, like, yeah, you shouldn't like what is and what should never be. And, yeah, you know, living, loving me, that sucks. Um, 
a whole lot of love. I'm tired of a whole lot of love. I'm kind of tired of a whole lot of love. I would be less tired of a whole lot of love if it wasn't for that whole midsection where Robert Plant sounds like a drunken cat on, you know, in heat. Yeah, but the, so he, that whole midsection is worth it when you get to the end of the midsection. When Bonzo comes and he goes, and then Paige rolls in. That is so, it is worth the middle section to get to that. I will, I will grant you that when Paige just starts riffing off furiously. Um, okay, for me, the ones that stick with me, I hate Thank You, by the way. I mean, I, I, I'm glad, Julie, that you, you allow that some people don't like this song because, Molly, I, I hate it with a passion. The ones for me, Scott already mentioned one, Heartbreaker is a classic. It's just one of Zeppelin's finest songs, and I'm debating whether I'll put it in my top five at the end of the show. There's nothing about it that can be flawed. I, I even love that guitar breakdown in the middle, which normally kind of like, You'd say, well, does that stop the momentum right, of the song? Right. No, it doesn't. It's just a perfect display of chops. Plant, by the way, or Page was so much better uh, at doing that in the studio than he was when they played that song and a lot of other songs live. I feel like they're kind of sloppy live. We'll get to that later. But it's just perfect on Heartbreaker. And that's one where like, you, have, you have you know, the guitar gap, and then it comes back in for the final verse, and it just feels like, you know, like a giant of you know bestriding the land just like crushing things <laughs> beneath it it's such a powerful riff um and the other one of course that i love is ramble on i think everybody uh, everybody whether they like led zeppelin too or not loves ramble on it's 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 the the, the greatest example prior to the uh, third and the fourth albums of like led zeppelin doing light and shade it's where babe i'm gonna leave you from the first album um it's a pretty song, a song that Jimmy Page did not write, incidentally. Um, but it's a bit sort of ham-fisted in like going from the light folk things to the really, really like big, powerful, heavy, heavy metal, hard rock riffing. Ramble on gets that perfectly with that little acoustic riff and the you know the tap 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 mm-hmm. tap tap uh, you know John Bonham drum beat behind it, and then going into that really powerful chorus. It's really upbeat, really joyful. Um, but there's just so much else in this this record that I dislike. I think Moby Dick is a waste of time. Nice little riff at the beginning, but I don't need to listen, you know, to John Bonham playing the drums with his hands for two minutes. Uh, Bringing on home is almost. I mean, I'm you know I'm not the kind of guy to like usually resort to these arguments, but when Robert Plant is doing that black blues man impression at the beginning of it, it's it's mildly offensive. Um, but the one I really actually do like is the Lemon song, uh, which, again, <laughs> this is not a song that Led Zeppelin wrote, although they tried to claim credit for it originally. It's just a really slowed down version of Killing Floor uh, mm-hmm. by Chester Burnett. But it is the most perfect example of their deranged style of blues from the early era. It is just insane. And, like, you know, you know, Robert Plant is screaming about, you know, screaming. We all know the words. They're famous. Squeeze my lemon. Squeeze my lemon until the juice runs down my leg. It's not very subtle what he's asking for here. Um, Subtlety was the, not the band's strength. All right. Yeah, by the way, that is my favorite. And, I, and for a woman to say this is really kind of pathetic, but this, that is my favorite track on this album. I mean, not because of the squeeze my lemon part. I just I think it's an, 
I just think it's an awesome song. I think it's such a great song. It's uh, you know, it is uh, obviously is always a ripoff of of Traveling Riverside Blues and um but I think it's a fantastic song and it's I think it actually makes the album, which is not it's not a very well-known song on the album, but I think it's a fantastic song. See, on that one, we totally agree. I love the Lemon song, uh, even though it is just the most... Because I love it precisely because it's so ridiculous. It's almost like they get the joke. They're in on, like, how... Okay, let's let's take a blues song and just turn it... Let's stretch it out to the outer bounds, the outer limits of how ridiculously overcharged can we make this? How much ridiculous adenoidal hormonal sexual bravado can we put into one standard blues number what would it sound like if we did that the answer to that question is the lemon song i love that song i don't like a lot of other songs from this album i think it is their weakest release up until basically the end of their career and listen you know i'm gonna get a lot of brick bats when this gets released uh <laughs> because i know i'm in the minority but uh these things i believe well, but I'll also say that's actually a per- that song is the perfect example of what I was saying, which is the lyrics are typically ridiculous, as they are for many Led Zeppelin songs. But put together, in totality, it's an amazing song. And I think for, for all the reasons that I just said, but also for all the reasons that you may have just said, which is it takes it to it's a completely ridiculous conclusion. Um, I'm not so sure they got the joke, by the way. If you ever saw The Song Remains the Same, their live album and the movie that accompanied it, I, they actually, I don't think, got the joke. I think they took the stuff seriously. <laughs> we forget. They're like 20-year-old guys yeah. who were given a tremendous amount of money and had a tremendous amount of talent, but we're still 20-year-old guys who were channeling. And had a, a tremendous amount of money throwing themselves at them now, too. Yeah, right? I mean, and if you ever read Hammer of the Gods, which is the biography um, of Led Zeppelin, I think it was a Zepp 2 tour, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you see exactly how immature and ridiculous these people are, and so I don't know that they did get the joke. I think this was absolutely what they believed at the time to be really high um, intellectual sexualization of music. <laughs> and um, maybe that's why Robert Plant doesn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> maybe yeah. he's finally grown up and said, you know what, this is just not who I am anymore. I'm not that t- ridiculous teenager by anymore. By the way, I'll tell you one other reason why Robert Plant doesn't want to do that song anymore. And this is one criticism I have. Not a criticism, just sort of a sad observation. Uh, Robert Plant's voice was never better than on these first two albums. Yeah. The first year yeah. of Led Zeppelin's career. Just an amazing sort of banshee shriek. The notes that he hit, the, the, the amount of time he could sustain those high notes. Just, I mean, power beyond anything you had heard in the rock scene up until that time. But the fact of the matter is, is that no human being, frankly, can do that for very long without hurting themselves, without like causing severe and permanent damage to their vocal cords. And from Led Zeppelin three onwards, particularly in their live shows, mm-hmm. that would show up. I mean, Plant had to really adjust his vocal approach from Led Zeppelin two onwards to kind of sing in a way that wouldn't destroy his voice. He was never able to go quite as insane as he did on that second album those first two albums that really represents the peak of robert plant as a singer in the technical sense i'd say yeah political beats a presentation of national review scott bertram jeff blair and our guest this week julie roginski you can find her on twitter at julie roginski she is a democratic strategist former fox news contributor and her band is led zeppelin let's see one two oh yeah Led Zeppelin 3 is the next album. You this, have trouble with the count there, Scott. I, I'm So far, so good. I've been making notes so I don't lose track. Uh, Led Zeppelin 3 is next, a mostly acoustic effort. And this is one that uh, was 
underrated and underappreciated for so long, and now I think it's kind of caught up to itself, and it's 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 appropriately rated by by most. I think is what I would say. It starts off with that crunch of uh, of immigrant song, two and a half minutes, two twenty or so. But that's about as heavy as they get on the album. Um, Celebration Day is pretty heavy as well. I, I I always forget how much I like Celebration Day actually until. It pops on from Led Zeppelin 3. It's got this motor that just won't quit, and it sounds interesting. I had read that uh, John Paul Jones is actually playing bass with a guitar slide on that uh, on Celebration Day, which is why it sounds a little funky. Uh, out on the Tiles, no one ever talks about Out on the Tiles as being one of the great Zeppelin rockers, but I love it a ton. Uh, kind of the, the multi-part riff, and, and, and Bonzo is going crazy on the drums, as usual. He's got a great chorus. I, I really dig out in the tiles. And then the slow stuff works uh, pretty well, too. Uh, 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 Tangerine and That's the Way back-to-back, and I don't know if you have to like one and not like the other uh, in some way. I love Tangerine. Uh, it's an old Yardbirds, or old tune that Paige wrote while in the Yardbirds brought it back. There's this great tension between the uh, the verses and then that open chorus country flourishes and in, again in terms of lyrics no one's ever going to confuse Zeppelin for uh well more high-minded things but you know from from Tangerine thinking how it used to be does she still remember times like these to think of us again and I do and then straight into Paige's solo love that part of Tangerine thinking how it used to be does she still remember times like these To think of us again And I do I also like That's the Way quite a bit, but but, but not as much as I, I enjoy Tangerine and Cameron Crowe liked them both, too. They're both uh, used in Almost Famous, which, of course, is based on a lot of his recollections of being uh, on the road and behind the scenes with, with Bud Zeppelin. So, again, I, I don't think 3 is anywhere near the top. It is not near the bottom. I think for a long time it was underappreciated. But by and large, by this point, in most retrospectives and you know when the reissues come out and people listen again, I think people get 3. I think people get what they were trying to do and appreciate it for what it is. See, me, I think 3 is sorry, better. Julie, you go first. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 actually, you go first, Julie. My fault. Um, I think Three is better done live. Every song that I've ever heard uh, from Three is better when it's done live. So, for example, Celebration Day is great when it's live. I don't love it on this album. Um, Gallows Pole is an amazing song live. I mean, they really kill it when they do it live. It's not that great um, on the album because it's it's a little unplugged, and that's not a song that should be as acoustic as it is, I think. It's It's done better when they just really give it the real Zeppelin treatment. I agree with you in Tangerine. It's a really sweet song. Um, I go through phases where I love it. I go through phases where I don't love it. Um, I have to tell you, I cannot stand immigration, immigrant songs. I cannot stand that song. It's just everything absurd about Led Zeppelin to, like, the 20th degree. It's, it's Robert Plant screeching. It's them basically, it's, it, it, to me, presages a lot of Step 4, which I'm not a huge fan of. Um, not a big fan of Immigrant Song, and to me that kind of sets the tone for the rest of the album. It's not an album that I ever sit around and think, okay, let me listen to Zep 3, because I really want to listen to Zep 3 all the way through. There's a couple of songs 
um, Tangerine once in a while, Gallows Pole once in a while, but it's not a, an album that I particularly love or particularly enjoy listening to. For me, this is all about the acoustic stuff. It's always about the acoustic material on Zep 3. And I think it's really funny to find out, you know, going back in retrospect, that this was one that they, you know, got really beaten up when it came out originally, mm-hmm. um, which I find kind of incomprehensible, although maybe, you know, maybe people felt, felt about it the way Julie does. But I, I think it, the people were actually just not expecting them to take such a sudden left turn from, like, the demented hard rock and blues stuff of the first two albums. And then suddenly now they're putting Indian strings and sensitive acoustic guitar ballads into they, their albums. They were accused of trying to rip off Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young when it came out. That's what the reviews were saying. Oh, Zeppelin tried to do Crosby, Stills & Nash. <laughs> Not Listen, right. you yeah. know, Crosby, Stills, and Nash could have used a little bit more balls, to be perfectly honest. So, <laughs> the other right. way around. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, you know, Immigrant Song is actually not one of my favorite ones, but come on, can't we at all, can't we all at least just appreciate the, the humor of the title? This is this song about the Vikings invading England, and they call it Immigrant Song. Yeah. It's pretty funny, I, okay? I, 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 I like that, but I don't care for Celebration Day. The other real big hard rock song on the album that I do love and that no one's mentioned yet is Since I've Been Loving You. I might actually say that of all the sort of straight blues songs that Zeppelin has done during their entire career, uh, it's this and it's When the Levee Breaks that rank among their top for me. I think Since I've Been Loving You is particularly worth praising uh, given the fact that it's not really written by anybody else. This is an original composition by the band. They didn't rip it off from someone else. For once, they came up with their own original <laughs> blues a long, slow blues. I think it's set in C minor, and then it resolves really interesting to the major on the final you know, resolution of, of the verse and the chords. I love that song. I love the way it builds. I think it's their most successful effort at doing the blues. Uh, but for me, the one that really I hang on to the most is Friends. Friends is one of the most impressive attempts that Jimmy Page ever did at cross-cultural fusion. I think it's more impressive in terms of bringing Indian sounds, those strings in, and Indian modalities in terms of his chords, his chord changes, and sort of the, the, the way the melody is structured. I think it's, it's better than Kashmir. Of course, everybody hmm. knows Kashmir. I think Friends is a fairly popular song, too. But I don't think people realize Friends is the better song of those two. And in that sense, I think it's probably one of Zappa's most underappreciated songs. The other one I would mention is Gallows Pole. I, unlike Julie, I love Gallows Pole on this album. I think it's perfect as this sort of ghostly, haunting, acoustic number that we you know where the you know again the fairly demented mandolin comes in at the end. It sounds like the Hangman's doing the Hangman's <laughs> dance. Um, it feels very much like Fairport Convention, a band that Zeppelin was a huge fan of. Uh, who covered a lot of traditional English folk songs. Gallows Pole is a traditional English folk song. And that's no accident, as we're going to see on the next album, on the Battle of Evermore, where they actually brought Fairport Convention's lead singer in to do the duet with Robert Plant. I love that song. I think the folk there is really authentic. And again, that's the true change of pace. 
uh, it's not just that they're doing acoustic songs, it's that they're really incorporating sort of, you know, English folk tradition, Indian folk tradition into what had previously been a fairly monochromatic hard rock thing. Uh, I guess the last one I'll say something nice about is Brownie R. Stomp. Nobody likes that song, really. Nobody talks about that song. I think it's just a lot of fun. It's just like a really fun, like, you can imagine a b- bunch of drunk guys sitting around a campfire singing it, which may or may not have been something that I did around a campfire <laughs> in high school. Did you um, play it along with Brownie R. off of Physical Graffiti, so at least you could do it sort of as a, as a twofer, Brownie R. and Brownie oh, R. Oh, I, I didn't have the chops to play Brownie R. I wish I did, but... Yeah, but I really love the stomp. It's just a goofy, fun time song uh, that doesn't take itself too seriously. And uh, that is unfortunately not what we can say about the next album, which takes itself incredibly seriously. It's Led Zeppelin 4, and uh, heaven help us all, what are we going to say about Zepp 4 that hasn't been said by a hundred stoned teenagers and critics already <laughs> the past 40 years. I don't know what we can add to Zep 4. You know every single song on this album, dear listeners. The one song that you might not know from Led Zeppelin 4 is actually, in my opinion, one of the best songs. It's called Four Sticks. But beyond that, you've heard Black Dog. You've heard Rock and Roll. You've heard The Battle of Evermore. You've heard Misty Mountain Hop and Going to California. I hope you know when the levee breaks. And I'm pretty sure that somewhere in the United States at all times for the past 45 years, Stairway to Heaven has been playing on a radio frequency somewhere or another. This album is like Mount Everest. I'm not sure what we can say about it, but I will agree with what Julie hinted at earlier, that because it's just so immensely overplayed, it's sort of been beaten into all of our collective heads. I'm kind of tired of it at this point. Yeah, I'm over it, and it's sad to say because it is such an amazing album in and of itself, and it stands on its own merits aside from everything else Led Zeppelin did. Um, But it's not an album I typically ever want to listen to, and I think it's for all the reasons you just mentioned. If I never hear Stairway to Heaven again or a bunch of other songs that I could think about um, by the Eagles, (laughs) for change, and others, (laughs) it will be too soon. I mean, you know, there are certain songs that I just can't listen to anymore. This is an album I really can't listen to anymore. Um, it's a great album, Black Dog. I mean, the first opening chords of Black Dog, you know exactly what you're listening to, no matter where in the world you are. If somebody plays those notes, you know exactly what's coming. Hey, hey, mama said the way you move gonna make you sweat, gonna make you groove. so on and so forth, I agree that When the Levee Breaks is an amazing song. It's probably the best. I'm going to put Stairway to Heaven aside because that's a whole other discussion, but Stairway to Heaven aside, it is probably the best song on the album, um, as far as I'm concerned at least. But it's an album that I really don't haven't given much thought to in, in 20, 25 years. It's so overplayed, and it has been so discussed, and all these songs have been so ingrained in all of our minds that there's really nothing else to say or even any desire to listen to any of them anymore. I thought I'd be in the minority, but uh, we're all on the same page. I I always had thought that uh, four was, uh, I, I guess, overrated or in a way 
its popularity and its love came from the fact that it was uh, ubiquitous. You could hear every song on that album on a classic rock station. I mean, I'm sure it was played once a day, every single song on the album, except for Battle of Evermore, uh, maybe Four Sticks. And I tried very hard in prepping for the show to listen to it with clean ears to say, what, you know, am I missing it? Am I, am I, have I just heard it too often? And I, 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 I still didn't get a ton out of it. I, I don't love these songs like I love songs on, for example, uh, Houses of the Holy, which we'll talk about next. Um, you know, when I, when I listened to Stairway, um, what first actually popped in my mind was, was, uh, the recent Black Keys song, Little Black Submarines, and, and how much of an homage or, or, or steal it just straight is from Stairway to Heaven. Um, you know, rock and roll, Black Dog, those, I, I, I don't know, they're, they're good songs, they're good Zeppelin songs, they, they accomplish exactly what they set out to do. My favorite song on the album probably is Misty Mountain Hop. The way those, the lyrics ride that melody uh, through the verses is, is fantastic. Scott, that's the worst song on the album. Misty Mountain Hop? Oh, I disagree, I think it's one of the best songs on the album. I By the way, everything about this album is not what I love about Led Zeppelin. This, to me, is a Led Zeppelin album, but it's very different from probably every other Led Zeppelin album. And if this were the only album by which Led Zeppelin were judged, I would not be the Led Zeppelin fan that I am. I agree. This is not, none of the songs in this album speak to me at all. Scott, I cut you off because I'm no, so rude. What were you no, going to say that, before you were That was actually my wrap-up, which is, I think, I think Misty Mountain Hop is probably my favorite song uh, the album, and you can't escape when the levee breaks. And let me, okay, how about we do this? I'll take when the levee breaks to talk about how amazing Jimmy Page was in the studio. Um, yes. The production from the first album is amazing, is amazing. And the way that you can hear all the parts, you know, bass, guitar, you know, lead guitar, drum, you hear all those parts clearly and crisp, crisply in the mix is incredible on all those songs. And at and, and bottom, the way he records bottom, and, you know, for when the levee breaks, that massively huge drum intro, which has been sampled by, uh, you know, countless people throughout the years, uh, Page got that done by putting the mics clear on the other side of the room. And he said, you know, back when he was a session guy, he was always in the studio, he'd watch people record, he'd see how you get different sounds from different mics and different placements, and especially, I mean, bottom probably is the best rock drummer of all time. I mean, certainly talented, but the way Page recorded him and the way he shows up on uh, on vinyl on these albums is incredible. And when the levee breaks that opening, that's that sounds that way because Jimmy Page knew exactly what he was doing in the studio and knew how to get that, that cavernous sound that you hear at the start of When the Levee Breaks. I think When the Levee Breaks is amazing not only because of that sound, but, but the way that the guitars and the harmonica are changed mm-hmm. via phasing in production to sound like things that don't to sound like instruments that don't exist in the real world you know uh the 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 harmonica solo that i assume it's plant who's playing it yeah. right yes um and then the guitar that comes in after it 
uh, sounds like, but it's not. It's the guitar, and they've been phased together and adjusted so that they sound like they're almost the same instrument. It's an amazing piece of studio production. I think when the levee breaks is yeah, clearly the best song on Led Zeppelin 4. And before we dismiss it too quickly, we sound like a bunch of snooty hipsters. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, this, is, this is everybody else's favorite Led Zeppelin album. Yeah. And I try to think, well, why is that the case? And it's not just because of Stairway to Heaven. And it's not just because of like you know the other hits that I think everybody knows going to California. I know, Scott, you've never liked going to California. I like it. I think it's a very nice song. Um, it's because this is the one Led Zeppelin album, I think, where you can say there isn't a single bad song. I don't like Misty Mountain Hop that much, but a lot of other people like it. It's clearly one of their big radio hits. Uh, but there's not a single weak song on this record. It is by far their most consistent album. There's no hats off to Roy Harper on this one. There's no bring it on home. Uh, there's no, like... Um, uh, you know, uh, how many more times, you know, songs that people can dismiss as being, ah, that's a bit too much. Every song has a reason to exist, and every moment in every song seems to be very well considered and well put together. I would also like to say that that um, the duet between Robert Plant and Sandy Denny, Sandy Denny was Fairport Convention's former lead singer. She was uh, in the middle of a solo career at this point on the Battle of Evermore. That is really a magnificent moment. And I think it's actually some of Robert Plant's best singing after those first two albums, uh, simply because he really rose to the occasion of trying to paint some rather silly lyrics, you know, very you know, fantasy, mm-hmm. you know, Tolkien battle lyrics. Uh, he was challenged by Sandy Denny because anybody who has to stand in the same room as Sandy Denny and try to sing on the same track with her has to has to rise to that challenge or they're going to be blown out of the doors <laughs> because she is such a powerful vocalist. And Plant rises to that occasion, which is not something that a lot of people are capable of doing. Um, the other one I would say is Four Sticks is a really fun little jam. I don't know what the words mean. I still don't know what the words mean, but I really love the time signature changes. I think it goes like it's a 5-8-7-8 switch. It's very kind of creative and a lot more offbeat than what most Zeppelin songs were like. Yes, we're all tired of Led Zeppelin for but let's not pretend that in any objective sense, this is a fantastic album, even if we're all ready to move on to Houses of the Holy. <laughs> I'm ready to move on to Houses of the Holy. Okay, <laughs> we can do that. Uh, Political Beats, again, uh, find our new episodes, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or at nationalreview.com. You can follow us on Twitter at political underscore beats. Scott Bertram, Jeff Blair, and Julie Roginski with us this week. Julie Roginski, uh, at Julie Roginski on Twitter is where to find her. Democratic strategist, former Fox News contributor, and we move on. Uh, Juliet said Led Zeppelin Two is her perfect album. And Jeff, you just mentioned, I know, you know, Four is not your favorite, but consistent from start to finish. To me, Houses of the Holy 
is A, Zeppelin's best album, and I think is also B, their most consistent. I don't think there is a terrible song on Houses of the Holy, even though Jermaker is not my favorite thing crunch. in the whole wide world. Their crunch, crunch. is good. The, the, no, no, the quarter. crunch is good. No quarter is awful. No quarter no. is great, too. No, no, no. it's awful. I disagree. Oh. That, if it were Julius not for Ray, no quarter... Your Scott, no quarter is awful. <laughs> it's awful. It's awful. It has no place on this album. Otherwise, it is a perfect album. The crunch, eh, I, 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 or I'll accept it. But this album is fantastic. I agree. And by the way, remember how every time Mariano Rivera would come out, pitch for the Yankees, enter Sandman, mm-hmm. start playing? Yep. I don't know if, if you're a Yankee fan, you'd know that. Um, I always had this fantasy that when I pitched for the Yankees, the opening chords to the song remains the same would start playing. <laughs> <laughs> so anytime I walk into a room, I really expect that to start playing. I mean, I love that song. love how close into the rain song um those two songs always should be played together because they're so different but they flow so effortlessly together the rain song is a beautiful song um it is just one of the few really well written lyrically well written led zeppelin songs um over the hills and far away i feel a little bit like i would about that four you know enough already um the grunge take it or leave it um i like dancing dates it's a fun song it's a fun song. And Dire Maker is actually the first Led Zeppelin song I think I heard, um, or at least I realized it was a Led Zeppelin song. And, again, when you're young, it's a great song. It's kind of a little rip-off of Bob Marley or their version of what they were trying to do. Um, no Quarter is awful. Just awful. There's nothing good to be said about No Quarter. I, actually I love the fact quarter. that you're just not even going to bother trying to make excuses. I'm not. Like, there's no way to justify No Quarter being a song written by anybody, but especially a Led Zeppelin song. <laughs> <laughs> an atrocious song and the ocean is great um the ocean's fantastic and i like the fact that when robert plant went solo uh in the 80s he sampled a lot from this album and sampled a lot from the ocean and some of his solo works um i agree with you this is a great album and if it were not for the atrocity that is no quarter it would be the perfect album <laughs> i feel very strongly as you can tell about i can tell first. I'll defend it after after Jeff takes a takes a whack. Yeah, I was I was going to continue stepping all over Scott here by say by jumping in with my two cents. I uh, I really like Houses of the Holy a lot. I agree 100 percent with Julie about No Quarter. I have never had time for it. I've never understood why people like it. Man. It's treated as one of Zeppelin's most you know cornerstone classic songs. It's included on all of their best ofs. They've released a ton of them at this point, and it's just seven wasted minutes off of my life. I would actually extend what she said when she talked about how the song remains the same and the rain song are a perfect one-two intro i would extend that i say the first three songs over the hills and far away is uh quite certainly one of my favorite led zeppelin songs of all time and i think the real is that i can offer to it is that it remains one of my favorite led zeppelin songs of all time despite the fact that i have heard it every bit as much (laughs) as i've heard stairway to heaven or a whole lot of love or fool in the rain or cashmere or anything like that it's still 
remains right up there with the best of the best. I um, I never get tired of listening to that transition from the acoustic guitars like you know many times I've loved I can't really do a Robert Plant imitation so I apologize for embarrassing you with that that really beautiful like acoustic intro into a fully developed wonderful riff rock song uh, it's uh, two perfect pieces put together to make a magnificent whole one of their best songs i think the other one i, I i've uh, by the way i it took me years to figure out how to pronounce the name jamaica mm-hmm. which is how you pronounce that mm-hmm. song i used to call it deer maker or whatever it's basically cockney slang like for an old joke about like, oh, Jamaica? No, nah, Jamaica. I hardly knew her. You know, it's basically a, a stupid pun about the name Jamaica versus a dumb joke about having sex with women. Very Led Zeppelin for you. But the <laughs> other song I want to praise on this album is Dancing Days. Mm-hmm. I really love that jagged, awkward, kind of unpleasant riff that I think is one of their most underrated songs. It, it usually gets passed over when people talk about the best of Houses of the Holy. But I think it's probably the second best song on this album uh, behind Over the Hills and Far Away. I think the song remains the same, completes my trifecta for this. But I, I do agree with Scott. I mean, I was, I'm debating still about what are my, two, my essential albums. I'm tempted to go with four, even though we're all tired of it, because it is basically essential Zeppelin. Uh, but Houses of the Holy is one of the other ones that, that's in the conversation for me, even though I hate No Quarter, just because so much of the rest of this is just, just such top shelf zeppelin really them in full flight uh the best of their stuff full confidence there, there's there's no sense of weakness or hesitation on this record and I, sonically it's awesome uh this album sounds amazing uh especially with, it's a good headphone listen so uh let's see what 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 uh, what can i add okay song remains the same the very first track on the album is going to be inst- instrumental and it would have stood up just fine without any lyrics from plant but it, it's fine the way it is that extended intro, and look, if you're going to say, if someone said, why is Jimmy Page so good? What, what, what is he, why is he so good as a guitar? I would just hand them the song remains the same. Page is amazing yeah. throughout the song from start to finish. The tone the shifts, uh, the tone changes, the dynamic uh, uh, adjustments through the song. This is Jimmy Page. Amazing, amazing work from Page on song remains the same. I love that. It's probably my favorite uh, opening track of any of their albums. Uh, Over the Hills and Far Away, I'm, uh, I'm with Jeff. I, I've heard it a billion times, and it still holds up very, very well for me. That, that start-stop, uh, you know, uh, 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 crunchy riffs uh, uh, of Over the Hills and Far Away and the, and the shift from acoustic to, to hard, uh, it's great. Okay, so the crunch. I understand why some people don't like this. I do. It's, you know, Zeppelin doing funk, basically, uh, uh, James Brown-type stuff. I think it's at least interesting it's i i would say it's fascinating for me to listen to and uh, i i don't tire of repeated listens of the crunch and i i, I do i listen enough i think I, I to say i like it um 
I understand why people don't like that. I don't understand why the no quarter hate. I don't. I, wow. Um, it's just, it's a, and this is one that probably goes toward the sonic greatness. I think it sounds amazing. It's this dark foreboding track. It's John Paul Jones mainly wrote this one. It's got that dirty Jimmy Page riff uh, throughout it. Uh, electric, uh, like a bubbling electric piano. It's such a texturally a great song. Snow drives by the foot that's slow. Dogs of doom are howling more. They carry news that must get through. To build a dream for me and you. Think of a fast and Again, lyrics not uh, at the top of the agenda for, for Zeppelin in many ways. Uh, Dancing Days, uh, I saw a lion. He was standing alone with a tadpole in a jar. <laughs> Things like that happen on Zeppelin albums. But, man, I, I, uh, I, I, like, I like No Quarter quite a bit. And The Ocean, anyone would kill to write the, that riff for The Ocean. It's probably somewhere just around number 10 in, in the best Jimmy Page riffs of all time. The Ocean's great. If you, if you listen closely... At the 138 mark in the song, you can hear a phone ringing that they didn't uh, take out because why would you? It's, uh, the take is perfect as is, but you can hear it in the background. Um, you know, the way that, that shifts at the end to that kind of that, that rave up, and John Paul Jones' bass just bounces all over the place in the last 60 seconds of that song. I love the ocean. I think the ocean is not mentioned enough uh, when you talk about Zeppelin's best, you know, just rock and roll tracks. And Plant's vocals, again, while... Uh, on the decline by this point, clearly, I think on the ocean they're pretty much top form vocals. So I think this is their best album. I think it's their most consistent start to finish, no matter what you guys think about No Quarter uh, or The Crunch. Well, now it's time for us to transition to uh, physical graffiti. Has anybody seen the bridge? Where's that confounded <laughs> bridge? So, okay, the next album obviously is they're sort of a lot of people would argue sort of their climax i guess if you're doing their career arc you're mapping the hips history of led zeppelin this certainly does seem to be either if not the peak then maybe just a touch down the parabola this is physical graffiti a double album released in early 1975 um, most of it was done recorded uh from like late 73 and 1974 but also it was kind of like an exile on main street situation where they set out to just do an album and then they came up with more material than they thought they'd need, and they thought, well, why don't we go put on some of these good outtakes from earlier albums? Mm -hmm. And then what happened? Well, they came up with a double album, and I think you know this is one that non-fans know only a couple of songs from. They know Cashmere. Everyone knows Cashmere. They'll know Trampled Underfoot. Uh, but they won't know it under that name. They'll think, oh, yeah, I love that Led Zeppelin song, Talking About Love. <laughs> uh, that's a great song. Um, and, and that's about it. That's really the only two songs that most non-fans know from physical graffiti i think this could be their best album 
if not their best album, certainly their sort of their Zeppelopedia, their most representative album that kind of catches them in all their various facets and in, in almost all their best lights as well. I think there's like literally two songs on this record that I'm less than entirely interested in. They come at the end. Boogie with Stew is just a – they basically put it on because it was a jam with Ian Stewart of the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. And then Black Country Woman is kind of like a boring folk song. It's not really offensive. It just doesn't do much for me. But every other song on this record has something really good to recommend it. And I have to say the fact that a lot of it isn't that overplayed is very much in its favor. I love the fact that there's a song like Night Flight. Mm-hmm. I love Night Flight. It's a song that opens the last side of the album. It's just this really kind of fun, positive, upbeat boogie that you know, you've never heard of. I don't think they ever played it live. Um, it's just a great, obscure Led Zeppelin song that is there for the fans, and it's one of those things that when you poke into the more obscure corners of their discography, you realize, hey, you know, the radio hasn't played all these songs to death. I received a message from my brother across the water. He sat laughing as he wrote the end inside. So I said goodbye to all my friends and packed my hopes inside a matchbox because I know it's time to Here are some really great things that I didn't even realize were part of Led Zeppelin's history. Physical Graffiti has a ton of those, and I have a lot of great things to say about this album, but I'm going to give you guys the floor because I don't want to waste everyone's time. So I think this is the essential Led Zeppelin album, and I agree with everything you said. It's it's just the most Zeppelin-esque of all the Zeppelin albums. Custard Pie is one of the very best songs I think they ever wrote. Um, again, the lyrics are a little preposterous, but it's just an amazing song. Um, and all, I mean, the, subtlety. All, Led Zeppelin's always about subtlety with them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Custard Pie is nothing if not not subtle. Um, but uh, the Rover, another amazing song. The Custard Pie again. What's so good about Led Zeppelin is they always start really strong, and this is another album that just starts really strong. Custard Pie going into the Rover, then going into My Time of Dying, which probably could be a minute or two shorter, but is a great song. Clearly, Houses of the Holy, which is a song that I, most people would know off this album. It's mm-hmm. an amazing song. Um, As it's trampled underfoot, I know we have some disagreement about Cashmere. Cashmere is, on its own, just an amazing song. Um, again, I don't need to hear it ever again. It's, I feel a little overplayed, but it's just a great song from every perspective. Um, musically, even the lyrics aren't as ridiculous as they, t- well, actually the lyrics are pretty ridiculous, but <laughs> it's still, it's just an amazing composition. Um, and then again, going into some of the lesser known songs, In the Light, uh, which is different from anything else on the album, but it's, but it's great. Whoa, whoa. As I was in before you too, huh? as you would for me. I will share your love Let me share your love Ooh, let me share Share your
Barney Yard. Um, you know, I could keep going. Some of these songs are obviously, as you said, not as well known. Some of them probably could have been put on other albums to make those other albums even better. But as a whole, Physical Graffiti is, to me, by far the best Zeppelin album that, you, that, that they created because it's so diverse and it's so eclectic and it's every element of Led Zeppelin. I talked earlier about how I think Zep 4 is very different from other Zeppelin albums and it's amazing in its own right, but it doesn't feel like some other Led Zeppelin albums. This, to me, has a compilation of Zep 4, has some of the earlier stuff that was really good and also some of the later stuff that came afterwards. It's the best bridge album that they did and it's the most representative of their entire work of art, their body of art. Yeah, I would not give it to someone as an introduction, right? Um, I think you have to appreciate what they were, uh, what they were doing around that time to kind of lead up to physical graffiti, uh, because there are some I don't want to say experiments. Zeppelin didn't really experiment, but it's not a classic Zeppelin song, maybe from Led Zeppelin two. Um, and I do think you know that as Jeff mentioned, there's some leftovers that were thrown in here from previous albums that I think there, there are just a couple of tracks here that that aren't quite up to par or up to the to the rest of the album. But there's a lot uh, to like here. I think uh, I think Julie mentioned the Rover, which is uh, man, it sounds really heavy metalish. Which which of course you know other bands would make uh, careers out of things that that Zeppelin kind of pioneered. Uh, great pulsating John Paul Jones bass line in, in the Rover and a, a clean page guitar uh, riff. That's a, a, a good one. Um, In the Light is probably my favorite song from Physical Graffiti. Um, got a, very much a John Paul Jones track that he brought uh, to, to, the, to the band. It's, it, it pulls off this trick that it, it's both ominous and hopeful at the same time. And um, I, I really like In the Light. And, you know, they never played it live because John Paul Jones told uh, Jimmy Page he couldn't you know that he, he could not replicate that on stage or, or, or i think that or, or the the instrument was was too fragile to bring on tour so they never did that live uh the wonton song uh from the second half of the album i just love john bonham's drums on the wonton song i always i, I described the wonton song once to someone where if, if you were listening to to headphones or listening to wonton song with headphones on it really cranked it up it really could implode your skull that's how powerful bottoms yeah. drums sound it sounds on. like physical abuse oh it's it is, really powerful. it's amazing and the way that, that again page constructs that song there's all this space uh for those drums just to kick in uh during the start stop guitar portions of the wonton song it's just it's fantastic and the riff is great too Wonton song is, is, is really great. Uh, Ten Years Gone is a, is a top track. Uh, Sick Again rides, uh, again, a great page riff, but the lyrics about teenage groupies and very clearly al- alluding to things that were as just, uh, I don't want to say it's an uncomfortable listen, but uh, again, the music is the music is good. Um, so yeah, I, I, I like physical graffiti an awful lot. It's not the one I would give to someone as an, as an opening salvo, uh, but you appreciate it if you are if you are into Zeppelin. Uh, th- there is so much to like, uh, pretty much start to finish uh, on physical graffiti. Oh, yeah, I'll I say this about Sick again. 
And you're right. Like, again, the lyrics are preposterous and, and somewhat troubling, if not very troubling, but it's a great song. And again, it's, it's what I keep saying about Led Zeppelin, which is that put together, the sum is so much better than all the parts. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it, I, I love Sick Again, despite its subject matter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think I remember reading Plant say, like you wrote it, it's like, I'm feeling sorry for these young kids because they're <laughs> top of the world at 12 years old and then they're over the hill at 13. And, yeah. uh, you know, you can insert your own Roy Moore joke there if you want, but I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> um, that should have been the Roy Moore campaign song. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> oh god! Well, we couldn't right. avoid that hit. That was that was too easy. I, I regret it. I actually regret nothing. The one thing I do, I would regret not talking about though on this album is Ten Years Gone," which I think is again one of my five favorite Zeppelin songs. And I think maybe if you had to pick, it's between this and the very different "Night Flights," uh, completely different ends of the spectrum as my favorite song on Physical Graffiti. Ten Years Gone is a very self-consciously an epic kind of romantic ballad. It, to me, is much more powerful in its, in its own way than Stairway to Heaven could ever hope to be. It starts off very quietly, um, you, know, you know, plant, again, singing lyrics that are basically nothing more than sort of amiable cliches about, you know, like love and loss and all that. But it's really all about the way Jimmy Page stacks these guitars, mm-hmm. one on top of the other. There must be something like 14 different guitars playing. Finally, you know, at the end when it goes to that giant, giant riff. My God, it's so titanic and it's so powerful. And the emotion that I think sometimes uh, Plant, as a lyricist, is incapable of conveying. And then I also think that sometimes his, his vocals weren't really capable of hitting at this point anymore. I think Ten Years Gone is the best true long-form song that uh, Led Zeppelin were ever going to do. It's like six, it's just only six and a half minutes, so it's probably about the same length as when the levee breaks. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just such an achievement, so much better than In the Light, in my opinion, which I like, but I don't love the way you guys seem to love. Cool. I, I, um, I always wonder why 10 Years Gone isn't treated in the same breath as, say, Going to California or Achilles' Last Stand, because I think it ought to be. Should be. I actually love Ten Years Gone. I, I agree with you. I think it's a fantastic song. It's a beautiful song, and it's a song that, despite its length, doesn't get old, which does not typically apply to some other songs. I'm actually amazed that they managed to perform it live. Uh, on, they, I think they tried it on like 1977's tour or something like that, because uh, it's such a complex number. And this, incidentally, brings us to one of the most regrettable incidents in uh, Led Zeppelin's career. We don't really have to spend a lot of time on the song remains the same. Either the live album or the movie. God help you if you've seen the movie. It's just... <laughs> no, but you know what a good idea um, is? If you're, uh, again, in high school and you want to drink underage, get drunk, watch that, and then watch Spinal Tap and see how much Spinal Tap borrowed from the exactly. movie. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't like that, and I think that kind of uh, shows up what a lot of Zeppelin's weaknesses were live as a band. I'm not really a fan of it. Uh, I think that Zeppelin as a live act is kind of underrated. I never thought Jimmy Page was able to recreate what he did 
on stage the same way he was in the studio. But I don't want to spend too much time on that. I want to get to these last two albums. The next one is Presence. A lot of people think of this as, as the real beginning of the ending for uh, Zeppelin. I think I would defend this album very strongly. I think it's not like one of these ones that throws up a bunch of classics. You've heard Achilles' Last Stand. That's the big epic you know, 10-minute opening number. I think a lot of the other stuff on this is really gritty and really fascinating. In particular, I think For Your Life is one of the best songs mm. Zeppelin ever did. Yeah, and this, you know, when you kind of take these last two studio albums together, you can kind of break into camps, I suppose, right? Because Presence is such a Jimmy Page-driven record. Plant was in a car crash. He actually recorded vocals from a wheelchair. Uh, there are virtually no keyboards on here. There are the fewest concessions to radio or to, you know, pop music trends. Songs on Presence don't even get played today on, on classic rock radio, for the most part. Um, and then you have In Through the Outdoor, which was very much a, pay, uh, a Plant uh, album with... Uh, with John Paul Jones, I really like Presence. Uh, you know, again, I think Page's recording techniques are outstanding on on Presence. Achilles' Last Stand is so good; it it uh, it it uh, deserves all the ten minutes and twenty two seconds that it gets. Uh, for Your Life, as as Jeff mentioned, is a great track, and I do I love Nobody's Fault but Mine for a number of reasons. There's kind of that. And this came this came first. I'm pretty sure it's kind of that life in the fast lane almost riff uh, to it that Joe Walsh would perhaps cop later for for life in the fast lane. John Bottom sounds about as good as he would sound in these last two albums. Um, and the way Plant sings, um, each time there's a nobody's fault but mine, he almost is like reluctantly kind of spitting it out uh, that that chorus is nobody's fault but mine until the very end when you get that that stuttering na 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 and he shouts it out. And so I love that delivery, too, of, of, of the lyrics for Nobody's Fault But Mine. Candy Store Rock Hot's on for Nowhere. They're all right. They're all right. Kind of rockabilly, boogie. Uh, but, man, the first, uh, first four songs on Presence are, are really good and I think underappreciated. I think Nobody's Fault But Mine is one of the greatest Zeppelin so- uh, songs of all time. It's an amazing song. I think it makes this album. I agree with you about Achilles' Last Stand, but for me, Nobody's Fault But Mine really makes this album, and it's just... An epic song. It is a very essentially Zeppelin song to me. It's got the blues aspect of it. It's got the rock aspect of it. It's just a fantastic song. And, and you're right about Plant's delivery. Uh, and the lyrics aren't as ridiculous as typical Zeppelin <laughs> lyrics are, which says something. <laughs> But other than oh. that, um, I agree. Presence, I think, is an underrated album, hmm. and it's an album that, I think, is, that more people should listen I to. I think. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Julie. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm just trying okay. to make sure we can get to these, these yep. the rest of these in time. You know, that you know, we have to 
briefly move from presence to in through the outdoor and i'm gonna just be brutal about this i don't like this album at all i think it's a big flop i think its biggest hit is fool in the rain uh which you probably don't know from that name it's the one that has the the uh brazilian football chant in the middle of it uh the breakdown which is kind of entertaining uh but it's basically the john paul jones uh synthesizer album which i have no idea how that happened how jimmy page basically seemed to bow out creatively uh, in terms of guitar sounds from this album that isn't necessarily the problem with it the problem with it is that the material isn't that great however the one song that i really love on this is the one that almost every other zeppelin fan hates it's carousel lombra me too i love it it's the best song in the album no question i agree (laughs) yes it's this giant enormous new wave synth monstrosity that uh, it sounds kind of like it would be like done by Asia or by a prog rock band or something Well, the like 80s that. were coming. This presaged the 80s again. Think this of all is. the pop songs that were ripped off of Carousel Rambra and all these other, al- all these other songs I, in this album. I love that song so much. That song is the one song on the album that made me think, well, maybe Zeppelin has something new up their sleeve if John Bonham hadn't died. not a big fan of all my love or i'm gonna crawl but maybe some of you guys are I'm not a huge fan of i'm gonna crawl i have to cop to being a fan of all my love just because eh, you know it's a good cheesy great prom song and i love it and i still <laughs> listen to it and uh it's up there with wonderful tonight it's that kind of thing where you just realize it's not a great song but it's kind of sentimental and you think about it and you think about you know the days when you really did love songs like all my love um, but I agree with you. The best song in this album by far is Carousel Ramba, and um, I like In the Evening. It's I, okay. It's, it's, not, it's not, you know, it's not by no means is it anything Zeppelin-related, but any other band putting out this album, this would have been considered a really good album for another band. I think the problem is that this was Zeppelin's last band, uh, last album, and this obviously just was not up to par with anything besides obviously not counting Coda that they did. Yeah. And, and for me, I, you know, I, I like Fool in the Rain okay. Uh, I think In the Evening is my favorite track on the album. And Julie's right. It, it never quite catches fire, right? It kind of lumbers through its six, seven-minute length. Uh, but Page's guitar, this is the only time on the album where Page's guitar really kind of gets going. He's kind of skidding all around the song. My understanding is he was deep into heroin addiction at the time, and Bottom, of course, was deep into alcohol. So... You had Plant and Jones doing a lot of the work on this album. But, yeah, I like In the in the Evening quite a bit from this one. I think uh, Hot Dog might take the title as worst Zeppelin song ever put to put to tape. Uh, that, that is that's just not a good song at all. That would be no quarter, but... Oh, no, you're still wrong. Um, <laughs> uh, no, it would be Bonzo's Montreux, but we'll get maybe... Well, well Bonzo's Montreux wasn't so bad. Yeah, that's do you want to talk... I, I don't know, do you have any thoughts on Coda? For, for me... There's virtually nothing on Coda that even rises to almost in through the outdoor levels outside of wearing and tearing. Uh, uh, there's not a lot there for me to take away. 
Uh, I like poor Tom. I think that's kind of a fun Zep 3 outtake. But you all right, I'm going to say something very controversial. The best song Led Zeppelin ever did was Wait, hey, what is? I, hey, hey, what can I do? Oh, that's right. Ah, the, the, but that wasn't even on the original album, Julie. Uh, yeah, but it's on there now, so I'm going to put. I'm going to count it as a Coda <laughs> song. I know, I know, it was a side B, but I love that song, and I'm I'm going to attribute it to Coda. It is a good song. It is a good song. I think it's a little overrated precisely because it was so obscure, though. I don't know. You can't really fault it, though. Hey, listen, I guess this is the point of the show where uh, we do our finale and we ask our guests and our hosts to name their two key albums and their five key songs from the band in question. So we're going to start with you, Julie. Who are your two key albums by Zepp and your five key songs? So my two key albums are Zepp 2 because it's essential Zeppelin listening and physical graffiti because it's a deep... Zeppelin listen if you have both those albums down you'll pretty much get the Led Zeppelin experience and, and my your five, five songs my five songs are in no particular order until the last one your time is going to come custard pie which we discussed earlier is having absurd lyrics but it's still a great song <laughs> the rain song hmm. the song remains the same and I my favorite song is hey hey what can I do I love that song I think it's just a very simple plain beautiful song I guess it's just one thing Also, 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 the lyrics are, as usual, pretty absurd, but it's still a great song. All right, uh, so my two albums um, are Led Zeppelin II. Uh, I, I, I think that is the album. I mean, I, I can't, I can't fathom how many people are out there that say, you know, well, I, I have no idea what Zeppel- Led Zeppelin's all about. But if there are people like that, I think two is the one you hand them and say, here, this is what, uh, this is why they're such a big deal. Right? From the opening riffs of "Whole Lot of Love." Uh, to the heartbreaker, live and love and made. To you know, again the 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 the, the soft, loud uh, dynamic for a couple of tunes, and yes, even the greatness of John Bottom on Moby Dick, which maybe you listen to once or twice, and then and then you can skip. But I think Led Zeppelin two is a great introduction to what Led Zeppelin was, especially in those first two albums and how they broke through. And my second album, perhaps to no one's surprise, is Houses of the Holy. I think it is Zeppelin's best moment. Uh, from start to finish, again, I think it's the most consistent. Uh, I'm sorry, I love No Quarter. Uh, I like the crunch, although I understand that people don't quite get it. But you go, Song Remains the Same, and the Rain Song, man. Over the Hills and Far Away, Dancing Days, and The Ocean. Man, oh man, that is so good. What a fantastic album, Houses of the Holy. Uh, and my five tracks, I mean, how do you pick five from Zeppelin? But uh, I will tell you, Heartbreaker and Live and Love and Made, so I'm, I'm cheating a bit, but, but you know, they go they go together. Uh, man, the killer Jimmy Page riff on Heartbreaker. John Paul Jones' bass sounds, um, it's going to rumble right through your speakers. And even though Page hates Live and Love and Made, I think it's a great second half of that back-to-back song. Um, song remains the same from Houses of the Holy. Uh, certainly, again, if you want to say, why is Jimmy Page so great? Why is he uh, such a, an amazing guitar player? Just hand somebody the song remains the same and have them listen to uh, the, the five and a half minutes worth from the uh, the dynamic, the tone changes. Th- this is why, that is why Page is so amazing. Over the Hills and Far Away is on the uh, the list. 
Again, that acoustic start to the crunch of the hard rock that would come about, uh, what, halfway through or so over the hills and far away. That one does not tire to me. And I, there is there is a, a quality to some of these, you know, classic rock songs that are played on the radio constantly and have been for the past 30 years. If there's one that you still don't get tired of, no matter how many times you hear it, that's something special. And that is over the hills and far away for me. Uh, In the Light from Physical Graffiti. Uh, talked about that when we when we talked about the album. And then this last one, I don't... I've been going back and forth a bit. I, I'm going to throw Tangerine uh, on, on my list of five from Led Zeppelin III. Uh, again, I, for, for, the, for the acoustic, for the soft Zeppelin, I don't think it gets any better than Tangerine. The lyrics aren't ridiculous. Uh, Page is very good. And that tension between the verses and the chorus, is it works, it works very well. So those are my five. Jeff. Nice choices. Yeah, those are nice choices. Almost all of them wrong. Uh, I'm going to actually <laughs> give the correct answer. And it does pain me to say this, that my first uh, key album from Led Zeppelin is none other than the one that we spent a lot of time sort of dismissing is overplayed. It's Led Zeppelin 4. Why do I say this, despite the fact that we all agree that, yeah, we've heard every one of these songs already? Because whether we've heard these songs already and we've gotten tired of them or not, the fact remains is that they're, it's an iconic album. It doesn't have any real weak moments. It has no flaws. And it also has, I would consider, one of maybe maybe the single greatest Led Zeppelin song of all time in When the Levy Breaks and a bunch of other ones that are deservedly famous as well. Led Zeppelin Four is, you know, it is singular in rock history. It is singular in the history of Zeppelin. If you don't own it, do you really know anything about rock music? No, of course you don't. Um, the second album I would choose is Physical Graffiti. Uh, it's the Zeppopedia. It's the one that has every aspect of the band presented in its best possible light. It's really diverse. It's very fun. Even the throwaway songs are throwaways in a kind of a fun, light sense and not in an annoying sense. The long songs earn their length. They're not ponderous. Mm-hmm. Everything works out wonderfully well. So I'm very, very impressed with Physical Graffiti. And as far as the five songs that I would choose are concerned... Um, no quarter. The, no. Yeah, yeah, no quarter, of course. <laughs> um, no, the five songs that I would choose are uh, Friends, um, which I think is probably a great example of the Indian influence of the band. Um, um, and I think the other one I would do is Gallows Pole, also from the Zep 3 album. I love Gallows Pole uh, for the same reason that I love Friends, is that they show Zeppelin going in different directions. You have the acoustic uh, sort of British-English folk of Gallows Pole, and then you have the Indian tonalities of Friends. I think those two are really kind of show how early on they were really good at sort of experimenting with different uh, styles and different things. Levy breaks from Zep 4. Mm. Of course, 
I've already mentioned it a hundred times. I think it's one of their best songs. How am I not going to include it here? Um, Over the Hills and Far Away. Scott, you basically summarize exactly why I love this song, too. If you can hear it that many times on the radio and not get tired of it, it must have something truly special going for it. And I could have picked five, six, seven other songs from my fifth song, but I think I'm going to go with Ten Years Gone from Physical Graffiti. Mm. Uh, As I explained, uh, probably at far too much length uh, during the show, I think it's amazing that Zeppelin managed to put together this long sort of guitar epic, despite the fact that, that Plant's lyrics don't really do very much uh, at the, uh, for me or I think in the operation of the song, that speaks emotionally on a level that is purely instrumental. This actually could have been an instrumental song and it would have been just as powerful as it is on the released version. I think it's one of uh, Jimmy Page's greatest achievements as an arranger of guitars, not only in terms of studio production, but in terms of figuring out how to get all these various voicings to run together, to play simultaneously with with one another without stomping all over each other. It's a real achievement. It's my fifth of the top five Zeppelin songs. But again, this is a discography that is pretty universally well-known. Yeah. I would say there's only one album on this entire band's discography that is probably not worth really checking out, and uh, that's Coda. And Julie would have disagreed with me about that because it has, hey, hey, what can I do anyway? <laughs> so you're going to enjoy Zeppelin if for some reason you've never heard of them before. Uh, and that will do it. The Political Beats look at uh, a band you might have heard of before called Led Zeppelin. Uh, our thanks to Julie Roginski, a Democratic strategist, former Fox News contributor. You can find her on Twitter at Julie Roginski. And again, if you check her Twitter bio, she loves Zeppelin so much, it's right there in the bio. Uh, <laughs> and we close out 2017 on a, uh, uh, on a high note, uh, I, I think. Uh, we've done, yes. this is episode number 18 uh, and so we uh, we will continue into 2018 with uh, with new episodes on a, on a weekly basis. I think it's going yes. so, so far so good. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and a Happy New Year to all of our listeners. Very, very pleased that we managed to put together such an amazing half season of greatness. Uh, and, you know, you could always listen to additional back episodes of Political Beats over the holidays. Uh, they're at iTunes and Google Play and nationalreview.com. Click on podcasts, and uh, and then you can see all the episodes we've done up to this point. And you can subscribe to find them on Mondays and also listen, enjoy, share, and review. Leave reviews as well for Political Beats. Jeff, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We will talk next year. Let's start it all over again. Let's let, as Bono would say, let's go back and dream it up all over again in January. <laughs> you can find Jeff on Twitter at EsotericCD. You can find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats. Beats.